You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from who knows what time, what timeline, or what universe, and I am just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and with me is the one and only Christy Morris. Christy, how are you today? Well, after that introduction, I mean, just glad to be here. Uh, Yeah, interacting in apparently the same universe at roughly the same time. Uh, you know, we'll see. Um, I've got my temp pad, but it's a revamped version since I had to start from scratch. Oh, oh, right. Oh, yeah. So that, if you turn mm, into spaghetti, yes. I, it's not my fault. Oh, well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but <laughs> you can find us uh, wherever you're listening to this. Any place that podcasts can be had, you can find the 602 Club. And we'd ask you just to subscribe. And so you'll get the shows as soon as they release. Of course, you can also uh, find us on social media, on X, Twitter, whatever that's called, at the 602 Club. We're also on Instagram. You can follow us and interact with us at the 602 Club TFM. You find the entire network at Facebook on Facebook.com slash TrekFM, as well as the entire network online at Trek.fm and see all of the shows that are happening. You can also join the Babel Conference, which is a listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook by typing Babel into the search field, and you'll be able to find us. You can talk to listeners from all over the world, and you can also go over to Patreon at Patreon.com slash TrekFM and support the network and make sure that all of the shows we do here can keep coming to you each and every week. So, Christy, we are diving back into the Marvel Universe again. We just covered the Marvels. But uh, over on Disney+, Plus, they had had a new show drop, and it was Loki Season 2. And coming off of Loki Season 1, we both liked that show. Um, We both thought it was a good show. Um, Having talked about it again on Assembling Avengers, it confirmed to me that I really enjoyed Loki season one. Um, And so we come into this show and I would say everything is super timey-wimey because now that He Who Remains has been killed by Sylvie, the branches and everything have gone haywire. Uh, you also have Loki uh, time slipping into different timelines and different universes. Uh, you've got the loom of time having too many branches to try and fit through it. Uh, and it's kind of crazy. And so one of the things I was just kind of wondering as you were watching through the show, if you felt like they did a good job of helping you follow all of this crazy that's happening with time and all of the different factions in time. And, you know, I mean, there there's a lot that's happening in the show. With all the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that the most important thing when you're dealing with something this complex and much less time travel is that there have to be set rules so that the audience can follow along logically. And then if the rules are broken, that they understand how they could be. And so I think that this could have gotten way more complicated, but thankfully they found a way to weave it together for keeping with the loom theme here. (laughs) Um, And keep it simple enough to where I could still follow along. But they are referencing some complex ideas. How did you feel they did that? Yeah, I mean, it is a good question. I think um, not just because I asked it, but it was one that I was just thinking about as I've been kind of rethinking about 
the series, you know, since it ended. And I, you know, I, I think that they do a decent job of it. I wouldn't say that it's an incredible job. And, and, and I think part of that is just that at the beginning of the show, there are a lot of different factions within the TVA. And there are a lot of different characters from the TVA. And one specific faction wants to just kind of reset everything by pruning all the branching timelines with reset charges. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really remember who those characters were from the first season. And, but then you have the Renslayer and the Miss Minutes, and then you have the Loki faction. uh, And then, you know, you've got Sylvie and it, it, it did feel a little bit, uh, I, I guess the word might be convoluted at the beginning and, and a little bit uh, discombobulated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like it, it almost seemed to me a little uh, kind of this whole season. It almost felt like that it would have been better, I think, to kind of strip some of the factions away um to make it just like so that we can have a, a a real focus um instead of you know having characters out there like brad wolf um and who he is and you know all of this type of stuff um it, it felt like it, it would have been better if you had simplified it because really the series is obviously i mean it's called loki it's about loki and it's all about getting him to a specific place um which we'll talk about later but i think to me that's where there was there were again there i just felt like there were just maybe too many factions kind of vying for power and ideas and i just wished that they had kind of streamlined it a little bit mm-hmm. um to to give us um a little less chaos in those first few episodes specifically um so that we could have a little bit more focus on the most important story elements and the most important character elements which is really the most important part of the show i feel like um is the stories of like say loki his arc mobius's arc you know um those are the those are the two main characters we care the most about Mm -hmm. in this show so and i mean I apologize. I was getting more into just the uh, time travel itself piece and like the tech and stuff. But I do agree there there were a large amount of character journeys to try and follow. And that did get very convoluted. Um, I think that, you know, you have the judges um, who are in the war room at the beginning and arguing with um, T-15 Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's one group. Then you've got Loki's group with Casey and Mobius and uh, QB, um, or OB, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was saying QB. <laughs> I'm thinking about football. <laughs> um, and then you've got Sylvie, and then you've got He Who Remains, and it is a lot to follow. Um, I think that the biggest disconnect for me with having all those different groups was mainly with... Um, the judge played by, uh, Kate Dickey, who later gets, um, you know, the group with her that get crushed inside the cube. Um, yes, exactly. Yes. It is heart wrenching, especially seeing the look on the other actor's face watching it happen. But yeah, you don't get enough time to care about her specifically. Mm-hmm. and yeah. what she's trying to do to really be affected by that scene as much. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, of course, she's also Eliza on uh, Game of Thrones as right, well, yeah. um, you know, from the veil. And uh, so, yeah, I, it was interesting to see her again. Um, and, no, I, I think that's a great point. Actually, And it's a fantastic pull as to, you mean, because she's one of the main factions in this, and again, I don't really, you know, I don't have a connection to her. I don't feel like, you know, and, and, and in a lot of ways, there's not a lot of connection to a lot of people at the TVA 
other than people like Mobius, Renslayer, and Casey um, is 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 a main character there that, you know, again, like these are the people that you kind of spent a lot of time with um, and in the first season. Um, and, you know, because of that, you end up caring about them more as characters. Uh, and so, yeah, I just think that there is a portion of this where I am a little bit wishing again they had found that way to kind of streamline things and and make things a little bit tighter with the story and in many ways i, I would uh, I would say too um I, this is a question I also had for you as well. Do you feel like then with what we're kind of talking about here, do you feel like then the show just could have been? Maybe at least a whole episode shorter? Uh, maybe. Um, because, I mean, there are still some things, I think, that are essential to getting to where we are emotionally by the last episode. And overall, it's, I mean, it's a pretty short series. It's just that the episodes are mm -hmm. longer. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of chasing around at the TVA that seems pointless. Um, you know, there's some of the slipping later on with Loki, um, toward the end of the show, the series that's needed. But I think that, you know, in the first couple episodes, if you really think about it, they do spend a lot of time just running around. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that completely. I, I would argue too, just as with everything we're talking about and where we're trying to follow all these things. There's also a big part of me that uh, thinks that we could have probably shortened this entire series by a whole episode and just kind of moved those things into other episodes. And I would say specifically that leads me into the conversation of kind of like a plan within a plan. Um, the idea that, you know, he who remains had arranged before his death to have Miss Minutes and Renslayer travel back to Chicago where they, uh, in 1868, where they would drop a TVA handbook into a young Victor Timely's room, a variant of He Who Remains, which then would allow him to be able to one day kind of turn into he who remains. And so and there, I mean, he, he's trying to back himself up. So that whole storyline, and I would say that whole time in Chicago, that whole episode felt really unnecessary to me. It felt like you could have done a lot of that much more quickly. Mm -hmm. the, I would, it really kind of belabors the point. And it also left me, and I have to ask you this, with that, I, I did not enjoy an any way the character of Victor Timely or Jonathan Major's performance as Victor Timely. Um, I was, I just did not enjoy it. I, I didn't, everything he was doing about his mannerisms and his quirkiness and his social awkwardness and all of it just felt so forced. You know, there's a way I feel like to do that where it feels very natural, mm -hmm. even though you're talking about being socially awkward and this it was like every moment i'm keenly aware of him acting i'm keenly aware of the fact that he's he's doing all of these things mm -hmm. uh and that kind of bothered me um and it made it really uh, unfortunately obnoxious to watch if you ask me personally yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, because if you think about his performance in the other scenes as he who remains, I think he does a great job. I actually think that he's funny and mysterious and interesting as he who remains and seems to do that very smoothly. So I I can see how him as Victor Timely was just uncomfortable and um i do agree i felt like it was overacting to try mm. and make him yeah you know have this um 
speech impediment and have the body movements that he had and try and make that work. It did just feel like he was trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it feels very belabored. Yeah. Well, and I would even say one note. Mm. You know, like you, you're supposed to believe that this is where he who remains could begin as a person to then become who he is later. And it's like, I don't really see the threads of, you know, what it takes to become that later in this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the performance. Well, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's not only the performance to me, but it's also just too... Yeah, uh, The whole point of him, like, kind of turning on Renslayer as well, who wants them to be a team at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel earned in a lot of ways. I think that was something that it just felt frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I could I couldn't agree with you more. I just I think the whole thing, in all honesty, did not work very well, uh, and the choices that were made uh, to me uh, just didn't work very well. And in that and. Mm-hmm. So and and that was frustrating because of course he is a major part of the show and it was like well that's kind of sad because like I don't really enjoy watching this guy on screen um the with this performance and he's you know a, a huge part of this of the series yeah so um I will say it it gets a little bit better um, as uh, I think we move later on into the series, um, but I just still never really enjoy watching him on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, just in those scenes, or you mean you didn't like the actor even as he who remains? No, I mean I thought he was fine. As, um, it's the Victor Timely okay, character just more that specifically character. that I do not enjoy. Okay. Um, and I just didn't, yeah, it's his character that I, I don't like. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think there was anything wrong with Jonathan Major's performance as Kang. Um, and Mm -hmm. so. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. The one scene that I did think was pretty good with him as timely was mainly because of Miss Minutes was the scene where she's talking about how he created Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's really interesting. Um, I think that the idea of having Miss Minutes become a character that we're, you know, now following and we're paying attention to uh, in more detail and we're kind of making her more of a character was really interesting. And so um, how did you feel about her um, and what did you think about, you know, this the story arc they gave her where – yeah, she was in love with her creator and wanted to basically be a real girl um, so that, uh, <laughs> you know, she could be with him for real. Mm-hmm. Well, and certainly that story, or I don't know if you want to call it a trope, is not new. You know, you've seen that in other movies related to robots and sentience and AI before. Um, But I love the way that Tara Strong plays it um, where, you know, we've seen even in the first season, Miss Minute seems to be very innocent at first and then will suddenly turn on a dime Mm -hmm. and has this very blank, dark, scary look on her face. And she's a clock. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, oh, this is great. And you're dead, you know. <laughs> um, and so I like that they did that again here with her. And Tara Strong plays it so great where she is just talking sort of nostalgically with him about how he made her and how she started out as just a computer program for him to have something to play a game mm-hmm. with. Yeah. As a chess game. And then he realized that he still needed something more for companionship and so made her 
sentient and capable of learning and of creating her own responses and um, being more independent and fully like a digital being. Um, And so it makes sense that then she would reason, why am I not also a physical Mm -hmm. being if I'm the same as a human brain digitally? But it still just plays out so creepy with her then dancing around the mannequins and putting her face on one. Oh, it just makes you cringe. And that is good acting. Yeah, it was uh, I I couldn't agree with you more in that sense. I felt like the the whole idea, um, again, it's not unique, um, but. I did think they did a great job of bringing it to life. And um, like you said, the way in which, you know, this this character of Miss Minutes is a cartoon character. Like, she's a cartoon clock. And the fact Mm -hmm. that I found her more compelling than I did Timely uh, was uh, really fascinating to me. Um, And so... I I thought her story was great in that, you know, that that two, I think what it did is it helped to kind of give motivation as to all the reasons why. And again, there's nothing new here. It's not revolutionary, but the fact that, you know, she would turn on everybody else, you know, um, because she's mm-hmm. doing it out of this possessive love, you know, Anakin Skywalker style. And so, you know. And like you said, Tara Strong does such a great job with her voice acting. She's so good at it. Um, I, th- I thought it was fantastic. It's one of the part of this season that I thought was well done. And, it, you know, I think when um, I heard that she was going to have a larger role, I was like, I wonder how they're going to do that. And And this really, I think, did a great job with that. And it also, I think, what was great about her is because she's been around the whole time, she also gets to fill in this idea that in the end, he who remains all wanted to be the only one who remained. You know, he wanted to be. Exactly. He exactly. never wanted a partner. So he created a fake one. Well, and, and in creating a fake one, he also creates something to which, you know, he controls and he has no desire mm-hmm. for i mean he's a very strange character in the sense that he doesn't really have any desire for companionship in any way shape or form and i think you know there's something really fascinating about that type of character um and so i loved that you know we kind of end with this character just being you know uh ridiculously creepy um and mm-hmm. so um And if I could add to, I think you brought up a great point, maybe unintentionally, that he who remains even controls his companion because he created Miss Minutes. He also still has the power to shut her off. So at any point, he can just decide he's done and he can just get rid of everyone. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think that's an excellent point. And I think it Again, it it speaks into you know the the character of he who remains, and you know I think the the coldness of him, and, and of course it it you know as we can talk we'll talk about later. It's a great juxtaposition of the character that Loki is. Right, this is a great juxtaposition of the character that Loki is going to turn into in the end. The choices that he's going to make. Um, it could be completely different than he who remains, um, which is exactly what you want as you know, you, you are taking a character who's going from villain to hero. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think that was great. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to argue with the fact that the best new character is OB. I mean, and Mm -hmm. And who better to play him than Ki Hoi Kwan? I mean, uh, he has had an incredible resurgence in his career. Uh, and I thought just I, 
I'm at a loss for words at, at honestly how great he was in the show and how much fun he was as a character. You know, Victor Timely, I couldn't spend any more time with him. OB, mm-hmm. you want to spend all day with this character. He's great. And he's got the time. No exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was the best reveal for me of the whole show was that he was cast in this role. Um, and I think that he was so well developed as a character as well with OB um, because it makes sense, you know, that any company um, or organization is going to need the guy behind the curtain, the one who is, you know, the IT guy or the help desk, um, especially if you've been in a large corporation before, you're probably familiar with, you know, it's like the guy that knows everything about everything. And he literally wrote the book here, the TVA handbook. And so I think that was the one good thing about having Victor Timely was the scene with him and OB meeting each other was actually really cute. Because it's like the they both loved each other's work and finally got to meet their hero. But OB is just so quirky and um, you can tell that it kind of made him that way because of how isolated he is. They realize that he doesn't have a team, even though he's like, I'm excited to be part of a team. <laughs> he's just the guy that's happy to be there. Um, and you're just like, bless your heart. But he's so earnest about it, and that's what makes him lovable. I think that they just find a way of crafting a character who fits perfectly with the actor that they've cast. It You know, it, it really does feel like that they wrote the character with him in mind. And so that oh, yeah. every single part of the character is going to work. You know, and I think that's the thing that for me is, you know, when you're going to introduce somebody new into a series like this, and they're going to be really important to the series, you really need the character, I think, to, to stand out like this. And I think that's the thing that for me they did really well and and i think it's the it's the exact opposite reaction that i had to victor timely everything that he's doing just feels completely natural you know the the character mm-hmm. comes off the screen in a way that i never think to myself oh this is really labored it just it the whole time I'm just like, nope, this is exactly this is exactly who this character is from the very first moment that they're on screen. Uh, and, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a, an incredible uh, it's incredible writing. It's incredible performance, you know, uh, and that's exactly what you want in a show like this, especially since he's going to be a key character in the rest of the story and kind of helping them figure out all the techno babble and everything. And so you really do need him to be the the type of character that just kind of like seamlessly integrates into the rest of the series. And so the fact that that's the case um, is phenomenal. Well, and I don't know if you noticed his uniform has some patches on it. And that apparently was a nod to his character in the Goonies, which had a similar outfit. So I thought that that was really cute that they even did seem to specifically write either the character or some things about it for this actor specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I loved him. I thought that he was... Um, like you said, the the key to interpreting all of the advanced mm-hmm. language and things about how the TVA yeah. works. Um, but then also sometimes just the comedic relief of, uh, you know, Loki trying to make sense of things and saying, so somehow I'm able to go back and forth in time within the TVA. Right. And, and uh, OB saying, but that's not possible. And he's like, 
I agree, but somehow it is mm-hmm. happening. So it is possible. Exactly. <laughs> and so I love that they do that a few times of him going, but that's not possible. <laughs> yes, I, that was fantastic. You know, um, I, I wanted to ask you to, you know, because it, we talked at the beginning how this show is very much about the character arcs of, of two characters and one being Loki, of course, and the other being Mobius. And that, you know, this this whole season really comes down to the fact that, you know, Mobius had said at the beginning when we first met him um, that he could never see himself uh, anywhere but the TVA. You know, he never wanted to be anywhere else. And this season is all about getting him to a place where life jumps out at him. Like that he desires a life beyond the one that he's lived in the TVA. This this kind of anesthetic, like controlled no life life right you know like mm-hmm. and and i i really thought that that was fascinating to to allow this character to you know because the the first season of the show is so much about uh you know us trying to set up who loki is and who he's going to become and everything and i think the surprise here just really becomes you know i love owen wilson in this role i think he's phenomenal in it and to see him finally kind of break and become somebody who wants to experience the life that he's been denied all of these years um was really kind of you know beautiful um you know and, and he wants to know what he's fighting for um, and been fighting for all those years. And so I, I just, uh, I loved it. I, I I loved that choice for him. Yeah, I think the strongest parts of this whole series, uh, season, um, were where the writers seemed to sit down and say, what is going to motivate somebody to want to save the TVA or to, you know, save time? Uh, It can't be just for the greater good. There has to be something like deeply moving and tangible for somebody for this to matter to them that much. And so I love that Mobius gets this moment where he realizes that, Yes, he wouldn't have wanted to look at the life he doesn't have, but he still wants more than he has, even though this is all he's ever known. And it sort of reminds me, too, of I don't know if you've ever heard a a song by Jonathan Colton called Code Monkey, but basically about how somebody who, you know, is in a job like this where they're like writing code or whatever, you know, they just feel like they're a piece of the machine and they don't really matter as an individual. That's what you see with Mobius's life in the TVA. He's just a cog in the wheel and doesn't really have any individuality or purpose and just kind of does the same thing every day until Loki comes along. And he's always had this picture of this same jet ski in his cubicle and said one day and never actually made it happen. And so I think he's the example of the average person in real life that is stuck in this loop of just going through the days and not really living life until he finally gets to choose to go off on one of these variant branches and just stay there and have a life. And it is beautiful. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so well said. Um, and I, I just think of it's so encapsulated in the fact of, you know, he only like and eats, you know, key lime pie, you know, and the idea of like tasting to see the variety and the beauty that the world has to offer, you know, that life has to offer. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, you know, there's that, that fear that happens in all of us of, of what happens if I venture out to try something different and, you know, it doesn't work. 
and the the mm-hmm. wonder of consistency, right? And yet, you know that that the phrase "the variety is the spice of life," you know, and so seeing the way that that works out then and Mobius's decision to finally venture out and see what life is all about when you're actually living life. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. And so I, obviously Loki's arc is the key to this whole thing because we're, we've taken a character who's been an incredibly selfish vi- villain you know, and he he showed up at the very beginning, you know, even talking about the the, the type of God he wanted to be um, and moving him to being the ultra selfish God to being the self-sacrificial God, I, I thought was a great move because, you know, it, it, and I think what it, what's nice about it is that we finally I think we finally take the character to a place where they can that he can rest and and like we never need to see honestly loki again um and i love you know him magically rejuvenating all the dying uh timelines and rearranging them into a yidrasil like tree which is the norris mythology tree of cosmology you know where the nine realms all sit Mm -hmm. um and just kind of having him be the one committed to overseeing the branches alone at the end of time, you know, the ultra. I mean, for a, a ridiculous narcissist the ultimate um, sacrifice, which is to nobody's knowing to know this, but except the TVA, he will never be able to see anyone again. Because his job is to make sure that all of all of these timelines can exist without destroying one another. And mm-hmm. I I was you know, it's interesting because his whole arc in getting there has been seen before. I, you know, in, in many ways Loki then kind of goes through this whole groundhog day situation you know where he keeps reliving oh yeah, yeah exactly the time um and, and and then you know there a doctor who has done this too with capaldi's doctor where he basically spends billions upon billions of years you know to try and get out of this uh diamond enclosure he's in um you know i mean th- mm-hmm. this has been seen many times you know but to stargate you know, i mean <laughs> there's so many ways in which the idea of like having to continually live over and over over again choices that you make so that you can find the right one and then i mean of course all pun intended here but to the fruit of the loom then being that loki is the loom is you know mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an incredible character arc from start to finish for this character and i'll admit one that i did not predict i love the reveal of Loki having a few conversations finally with he who remains and slowly showing he who remains, you don't know everything about me. And if I know anything, I'm the God of mischief and I always will be, (laughs) and I will subvert all your expectations always. Um, and so I did not expect Loki to be able to find a way out of the seemingly impossible problem of scaling and the loom and everything that he who remains talked about. And so the way that they solve it is beautiful because it makes sure that the show is still about the core character, which is Loki, which I didn't feel as much in the first season. Um, And that in Loki becoming a selfless God, he is still not losing his mischief his mischief just becomes his superpower because it's his ability to problem solve. And so he's still doing something that you could call mischievous because he's turning the tables on he who remains and on everybody that didn't think there was a way out, but he's also getting something out of it. Even though he's going to be alone at the end of time now guarding these, he's getting to see all the positive things that are possible because he did that. Yeah. 
It's interesting that you said you didn't see it coming because this is one thing where I I guess maybe a failing of the show or just I don't know. But I I I totally saw this coming. I couldn't understand why they were trying to get anybody out to fix the loom (laughs) else to fix the loom. And I was like, it needs to be Loki. Um, And, you know. But how? Well, I just was like, like, he's a guy. Of course he could do this. And and, and then, of course, Mm -hmm. you, you know, the moment. I was like, just allow him to do use his magic and he should be able to do this. I was like, I, that's the mm-hmm. answer was to me. And so I I, mm-hmm. I always kind of saw it coming, but I didn't necessarily know, um, you know, how they would, I guess, get him to the place where and they needed him to get to the place where intellectually as the character, he could make that decision because it is the only decision. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. that's the difference is that's what you needed. Um, and that's where all of the, you know, the Groundhog Day nature of the story gets him to that place. There is no other way. You know, this is the only way. It has to be mm-hmm. me. And it, and and so therefore, um, I, I, there's nothing else I can do. And so I, I, I really liked mm-hmm. that. So one of the things that uh, you had mentioned um was the the music for the show with Natalie Holt returning, returning, um, and then you know the different needle drops that we get in the show, um, and so did you feel like that ended up all working for you? Yeah, I, I specifically wanted to bring that up because I did realize how much music was a vital part of this series both seasons um, and love that they got Natalie Holt to come back. And I think you can really tell from the way that she composed the score that she also is a violinist. Um, And she just seems to have a natural ear and talent for how to put that together with the other pieces and make something interesting and new, but that fits well for what you need with Loki And I mean, I've seen everywhere people saying that the Loki theme that she wrote is one of the best and the most memorable Marvel themes for a character. And it is like, it's so much fun. And I think it has that element of mystery and gets you excited for the next episode. Um, And I liked those songs that she threw in to kind of give it also that 70s vibe that a lot of the set styling kind of goes for as well um you know with the orange and the kind of dated looking fonts and the handbook um so like i immediately recognized janice joplin when they played cosmic blues um it was funny i actually have heard of the velvet underground but didn't recognize what song it was um until i looked it up later what song was sylvie listening to in episode five um and it was oh sweet nothing um And it does. It just all works. There was clearly a goal here with that vibe. And it's so good. No, I agree with you. I think she does a great job as the composer. Um, I think that uh, her work here is is really good. Um, You know, I think um, it's it's interesting because, you know, she also did the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And I was pretty disappointed with the outcome on that for the, the music. Uh, but here, I think she, mm. uh, you know, all of her powers are at the height, you know, and I think she does a great job with that. I thought, you know, all the the needle drops that we got really worked. Um, I, I still will say I'm not quite sure why we're at a 1970s, early 80s McDonald's. That still doesn't make a lot of sense to me, other than it's just like mm-hmm. one of those like, hey, let's just throw that in there. That'll be funny. Um, but other other than that, I mean... Absolutely. The the music, the music really does add to the show. Uh, and especially the way in which I think the music can add to kind of the anxiety of the show. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's really good in that sense. So I'm glad you liked it too. Seeing as you're usually yeah, the music person. Absolutely. No, I, I'm, I'm always thrilled when the music works uh, in, a, in a show. And specifically, you know, I, I think we've talked about many times as we've talked about all of these Marvel properties and that so many times that it's strange that the music seems to kind of get 
kind of lost in the mix, right? Like they just don't almost seem to think about it until like it's too late and they're not that doesn't seem like they really put a lot of effort into it a lot of times but this one i think they did a great job with and and they found somebody who uh, does a great job with creating a theme like you mentioned for the character uh and making it memorable and making it fit and on all of that you know i mean it's it's um i think his loki's theme here for the show fits just as well as you know the captain america theme does that Sylvester created all those years ago and so mm-hmm. one of the like kind of getting close to the finish here but one of the things i, I wanted to ask you was like what's next because we know that uh jonathan majors has been in some hot water uh, and it does kind of seem as though Marvel may be pivoting away from that. And this show kind of, I felt like, did a great job of setting up the fact that you don't even have to deal with Kang again if you have never want. Because the TVA's whole existence now is just about relegating and um, managing his variants. And so... You know, I know they had announced the Kang Dynasty as one of the Avengers movies that they might be working towards, but it seems like to me, in some ways, this is their easy out. And now, if they don't want to work with him as an actor anymore, this is the perfect way to let that go and just do something else. Yeah, I, I think they're they're kind of, at least to me, in a rock and a hard place situation because. I think that they could at this point with the writing easily recast if they need to and just bring Kang back, but with a different actor. Um, But I do think that you can't necessarily get by without the character um, or at least some kind of a tease into something else because the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe has always revolved around having a big bad that was part of the comics that then is going to be the ultimate fight later on that we're building toward. So without him, what are you building toward? Yeah, the rumors that I've heard of that it would be Doctor Doom, uh, and mm-hmm. which, again, this show allows you to be able to say, because of everything that happened, Kang didn't become the big bad the rise of dr doom is what kind of became a thing because of Mm -hmm. all the changes right and so yeah i just to me this show i think gives you a great out and in all honesty you know dr doom is a much more recognizable name anyway than kang as a character Mm -hmm. and so it seems like it's just kind of as michael scott would say a (laughs) win-win-win It could be. I don't know. I I think it's still tough because people have gotten used to seeing Majors as Kang and Kang being the villain right now in this phase. But, I mean, you are right that I think where they've left it with this show, if people watch the show, it leaves them a way to now transition to doing using Doctor Doom instead. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think it could go either way. Um it'll be interesting to see for sure. Well, and that, I guess another question that I was thinking of today, it just came to mind as I was thinking back through the show, you know, this whole multiverse thing that we've been doing, you know, if Loki is now in control of all of the different timelines and the different branching timelines, doesn't that kind of stabilize completely the multiverse and make it a moot point? Like, it it, it it seems like this show answered a lot of the quick – a lot of what we've been building up to in a way that, like, makes them – I mean, I, I've found the multiverse to be incredibly frustrating for the most part other than the joy of No Way Home and some of the things that mm-hmm. I enjoyed about, you know, uh, Multiverse of Madness. But other than that, it just becomes such a big convoluted thing that it's like this show, I think, in many ways – answers a lot of the problems that I've had with especially phase four and into phase five of Marvel and just allows us to maybe 
focus on one universe again and um mm-hmm. in a way that could be maybe much more interesting in the same way that you know the the infinity saga was you know give us more focus you know at and you know that was kind of my frustration of the first half of this season was kind of the focus of it but focus has also been a problem i feel like for marvel since the infinity saga ended and this show if you ask me gives you a great template for just basically being like ah we're gonna we're gonna move on you know pay no attention Mm -hmm. to the man behind the curtain which is loki now who fixed all of our problems (laughs) yeah no i mean that's a good point So I guess this is a two-part question to me. For one, as far as anything now being a moot point, the only reason I wonder if it's not is because I just wonder how much of that element of the Lokiness is still left in him. Of like, is he at some point just going to get bored and decide to mix things up? Just saying that he, he might not go back to being bad, but he might get bored. Or, for example, he who remains always has a plan, always has a loophole or a way out. Is he going to find a way to come back? Um, but I do agree that this does tie a neat bow on a lot of the unanswered questions from earlier pieces of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and I think is a great template for saying, you know, we... Uh, you and I, our big issue with a lot of this phase of Marvel was that it didn't seem to have a clear direction. And this series has been so focused and is a great template for saying there's still a way to have focus, even with the themes you're exploring. And this was the way to do it. Um, But I do think that you're still in general running into that issue of the world being so massive and complex, you know, where you're trying to grasp things like the end of time, (laughs) that it's just going to be too much for the average person to want to comprehend. So you got to rein it in somehow. I no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think that is the place where I find you know, the, I think the the biggest issues with everything that they've been trying to do with this series is, um, or with with Marvel as a whole, is that they don't seem to have a driving force. You know, and again, I think this show allows you to be able to have a driving force coming up by focusing the stories streamlining them making things smaller um and and really trying to connect you know all of these disparate heroes that you've had all over the place i mean just i think the other thing in in all of this is just thinking about how all of the you know things that they've created uh for through phase four and now into phase five how do they connect? Like, you know, how does a character mm-hmm. like Kate Bishop's Hawkeye connect to a cosmic character like, you know, um, Shang-Chi or, you know, I just, I, how do all these people connect as a, as like maybe a possible Avengers team, you know? And whereas right. the first you know, few phases of Marvel really did a great job of making these people all seem like they belonged in the same universe because we have just gotten so unwieldy. It feels like this, that that hasn't happened. And so this feels like it possibly might allow them to find a, a focus more quickly than, you know, if they just kind of tried to stay the course with the plans they have, who knows? But anyway, I guess the, Mm-hmm. Big question then comes down, you know, what will you rate season two of Loki? So I thought about this a lot and uh, I can't give it a perfect score because there's still some things that you and I talked about, you know, with 
Victor Timely um, and also with X5 or Brad um, that kind of divert you from the main point of the, sh- the series. Um, but a lot here to love and I enjoyed even more than season one. So I do give it a four out of five temporal looms because I think it explains a lot of things very well. I thought that the effects were super cool. Um, you know, with them actually showing that what OB warns about is possible with the radiation causing a person's body to burst into spaghetti noodles. Um, and, uh, you know, actually having some things to be afraid of or to be worried for the characters about, um, and then ultimately still exploring these huge themes of like what makes life matter to you, um, how time passes or, you know, how you could just be letting time pass you by and not really embracing life. Um, and I love that they did rein it in, in ways to focus specifically on Loki, um, and on Mobius to make it more meaningful and not just rush through things. So I really enjoyed this season and um, I kind of hope that they don't do any more seasons of Loki because this is such a good place to leave it off. Yeah. What about you? I think that I'll go with 3.75. It's not quite a four. And I think the that it could have been a four if, if this season was more focused and especially at the beginning and... I think that you probably could have shortened the series by one episode um, and just found a way to kind of reorganize things and, and it would have worked. And yet, you know, I, I think this is an incredibly powerful arc for the character of Loki, who is the title character, and that's what you want. Um, you know, I think we finally put him in a place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where we never need to really see him again. But you feel like you've been on the journey with him and it's been a successful one. It's been an interesting one. It's been one where you feel at peace with where the character has ended up by the end of the show. And I agree with you. I don't think you need any more seasons of Loki and I don't think you need the character anymore um, other than the fact that we now know what he's doing and that's fantastic you know and so uh, i would say on a whole you know the the loki series so far has been one of the absolute highlights of anything that disney plus has done for marvel um and uh hopefully you know as we move forward and and we already do know that they're going to be shrinking the amount of content um i'll be really interested to see what happens you know i i know that they're kind of moving into a phase where uh, the new Echo show that they're going to have coming out um, is going to be much more gritty and real and kind of much more like the Netflix shows that they were doing. And so there's there's some changes and in, 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 in the ways that they're kind of doing things. So we also know there's going to be less content coming out from Marvel in general. So, you know, I think all of those things are good for them as they try to figure out a way to uh, fix the broken box office problem that they've got right now. But thankfully, this was not part of that. So, Chrissy, though, if anybody wants to catch up with you, see what else you've got going on these days, where would they find you? You can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, and X at Bespin Bell. And, of course, on the Babel Conference on Facebook. And, uh, of course, you know, I did a show that was a completed show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells. If you'd like to check that out on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And what about you? Well, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network outside of the 602 Club. Literary Tracks, The Orb, Warp 5, The Artificial Tango, and Saddle Up. And then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with a completed show called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series. And then you can find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars. But thank you so much for joining us. Now go be burdened with glorious purpose, you hear? 